Hello, everyone. How are you guys doing? While we're getting situated, let me have everyone stand up real quick. That's right, we're going to do some exercise. Just scoot over if you have a seat next to you, just so we feel a little better and more people are coming in, so everyone can have a seat. Now you guys don't have to go to the gym today. All right, you can sit down. Well, welcome, everyone, to uh, Christian Challenge. My name is Eric. Uh, it's great to be with all of you, you here tonight. Uh, just a little bit about myself. This is my ninth year as a part of Challenge. Actually, it's been a long time. Um, not quite to the 10-year mark yet, but um, I joined Challenge when I was a sophomore here at USC in college. Uh, honestly, I was looking to meet girls, and <laughs> I ended up meeting Jesus, so... Um, so I became a Christian. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, so I became a Christian my sophomore year. I just got around challenge, saw what a relationship with God really looked like and what loving Jesus really looked like, and I, and I wanted to do that, and I've been doing it ever since. Uh, so challenge meant a lot to me, and when I graduated, I graduated in uh, 2015. I have a master's in biomedical engineering, got my undergrad in the same thing. Yeah. Thankfully, the cheer for biomedical engineering was smaller than the cheer for Jesus. Well done. Um, so when I, when I graduated, Neil asked me if I wanted to stick around, and I thought that would be a, an awesome thing to do, and, and here I am five years later. Um, I don't only uh, do Christian Challenge. I have a full-time job in biomedical engineering. I am a product manager for a biotech company out in Santa Monica. Um, and you know, these nine years, I think, as I've been reflecting on them, it seems like they really went by quick. Uh, but I still remember kind of being where you guys are, especially as a freshman. I know we have some freshmen here. And I remember around this time in the semester, kind of a few weeks in, uh, some of my friends from high school came to visit me. Now, uh, these friends, they loved USC. Uh, their parents had gone to USC. There's a lot of people in my high school who were big USC fans. Um, and for one reason or another, they, they didn't get in or they didn't choose to go. But they were kind of living vicariously through me for the first few weeks. And so they came to visit. So I gave them a grand tour. I wine and dine them at EVK. I showed them. I didn't know Parkside existed yet because I was living in Mark's Hall. I uh, showed them all around the dorms. Yeah, there you go, Mark's Hall. Um, it's an interesting place. <laughs> and I was showing them around, and it was getting around to dusk, so about to get dark, and we were deciding if we wanted to do anything else. They were going to leave when it was going to be dark. And one of them suggests, hey, we should go to the row. And again, I'm trying to be, you know, a, a good host, this cool USC guy. So I say, all right, let's go. And I have no idea where the row is. <laughs> again, I'm a freshman. I don't know what I'm doing. Now, luckily for me, there were some people, again, they had been to tailgates. They kind of knew somewhat where the row is. But they said, you know, it's kind of far. It's probably going to get dark before we make it. We probably shouldn't go. And the person who suggested it said, oh, don't worry. I know a shortcut. <laughs> now, if I were wiser at the time, I would have said, well, that sounds really dumb. We're just going to end up wandering in the dark and get lost, let's not do it. But instead, because I was trying to be cool, I said, all right, let's do it. And we ended up wandering in the dark and getting lost. <laughs> and so we're walking around trying to figure out, you know, the, uh, sh the girl who was leading us, she kind of is like looking around all the time, like, where the heck are we? And we end up in this alleyway. <laughs> not the best place to end up. And uh, so again, we're trying to figure out where we are. And from the other end of the alleyway, uh, this guy walks in. And he has this long pole in his hands. He's kind of holding it like this. It's about 
<laughs> it's about five feet tall, and it has these rungs on it. And on each of the rungs is a parrot. <laughs> I'm not making it up. Parrots. And I thought to myself, we're about to die. <laughs> so, you know, he's going to say kill, and these parrots are just going to gouge our eyes out or something. Now, this guy, he was just taking his parents for a walk, as, as one does, I suppose. Um, but th that's when we kind of realized this was not a good shortcut to take. Let's get out of here. And we wandered around in the dark back to USC, and uh, they never visited me again. But, <laughs> but what does this story show us besides never go to the row? No, I'm just kidding. If you do, don't go down Parrot Alley, I guess, is the, the story. But I think this story shows us that we as human beings, we are really drawn to shortcuts. There's something about shortcuts that when that comes up, we just get very excited. Even against better judgment, we decide, hey, yeah, let's do it. You know, we're infatuated with getting things that we want as quickly as possible. I mean, look at some of the things that are uh, advertised today. You know, lose weight in 30 days, get rich quick. Amazon Prime. I mean, the whole concept of Amazon Prime is let's get what we want as quickly as possible. And I think we really like this idea because we are product-oriented thinkers. Now, what I mean by that is we like to focus on the goal. The most important thing to us is the end result, the product, the most important thing. And since we are so focused on the end result, it makes sense to take a shortcut. It makes sense to get to that end result as quickly as possible, whatever it takes to get there, as long as we get there. Now, that's fine for Amazon Prime, but if you start to apply this to your life and the, and the bigger, important things in life, there's a lot of pressure that starts to build up. And you start asking questions like, you know, why aren't I in a relationship yet? Why haven't I been able to find the right internship or job? Why don't I have the leader, leadership position that I want yet? And then we make it worse because we look at other people who have those things and we think we're behind and the pressure just builds and builds and builds and builds and so we take shortcuts. We cut corners, we rush into things that we shouldn't be rushing into and that leads to a lot of problems. I mean, has anyone made a relationship mistake because they rushed into things? Rushed to get more responsibility and found out you couldn't hold it? Tried to get ahead and unfairly and ultimately got caught for doing that? Now, we've been looking in this series, we just started last week, just about how we can experience life the way God intends it. Right here at USC, there's nothing keeping us from that. We just have to decide that we want to follow Jesus. It's the amazing truth that God wants a relationship with each and every one of us. God wants to be a big, the biggest part of our lives. And rather than being called to merge our ideas, our plans with God's ideas and plans, we're called to yield, to totally surrender to what he has for us knowing that he is faithful and that he is all-knowing and all-loving and that everything he's going to do for us is ultimately for our ultimate good. That's the best kind of life that we can ever have. And so we can look to Jesus on how to live life the right way. And Jesus has some things to say about shortcuts. And he says it in Matthew 7, 13 to 14. It's going to be up on the screen here. Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. Uh, that's, for the gate is easy and the way is hard that leads to life. And those, wait, I've misread this. I'm sorry. For the gate is wide. Let me start all over. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. There we go. You see what this is saying? The truth is there is no shortcut. There is no quicker way to get the life that God has for you. The only way that you can live that kind of life is faithfully following God day in and day out. 
trusting that in God's timing and by his grace, he's going to get you where you need to go. Proverbs 28.20 puts it like this, and I love this verse. A faithful man will abound with blessing, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. And I think a great example of this in the Bible is the story of Abraham. Now, Abraham, at the beginning of his life, well, not in the beginning of his life, he's 75 years old, but when we first meet him in the Bible, he gets this incredible promise in Genesis 12, 1 through 2. The Lord said to Abram, at this point in his life, he goes by Abram, his wife goes by Sarai, but later God changes their name to Abram and Sarah. I'm just going to call them Abram and Sarah to keep it simple. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great that you will be a blessing. Now, isn't that a great promise? Wouldn't you like to hear that from God? I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you and and let you bless others. And Abraham actually starts off his life pretty well. He does exactly what God tells him. He goes to the land that he is called to go to. But then things start to get difficult for Abraham. In the land that God has told him to go, a famine starts. And that pressure that we've all felt starts to build up in Abraham's life, and he's faced with a decision. God has promised blessing, and yet here I am with no blessing. Do I continue to trust that God will fulfill his promise, or will I try to make it happen on my own, to take a shortcut to get to the life that God has told for me quicker by the way I think I should go, to get that blessing quicker? And rather than faithfully following God, Abraham decides to take a shortcut, and he goes down to Egypt where there is no famine. And again, if you're thinking about this from the product-minded standpoint, it makes total sense. God has said... I will get blessing. Well, let me just go to where the blessing is because that's the most important thing, getting to the blessing. It doesn't matter where God told me to go. God said blessing, so I will go to blessing. I will go to Egypt. But this opens up a whole host of problems in Abraham's life. Abraham becomes afraid that uh, the Egyptians are going to take his wife, Sarah. Sarah is very beautiful, and he's afraid that they're going to take him. So uh, Abraham decides to lie and say that Sarah is actually his sister. But that backfires because the Egyptians say, well, she's not your wife, so we'll just marry her off to Pharaoh. Oops. And so Abram just runs into all these problems. And look what happens in Genesis 12, 17 to 19. The Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. You see the funny thing about that? Abraham didn't even need to lie at all. God was always going to protect his wife. Again, one of the prerequisites for having a great nation is having kids, and you have to have a wife to have kids. So God was always going to be protecting Sarah. And and also, Abraham didn't even need to go into Egypt. God had promised him blessing where he was. It's not really the best start, is it, for this great nation that Abraham's supposed to become? I mean, his reputation is in tatters now. Uh, his, his actions have led to <laughs> the plague on an entire nation. Not a great start. But it's as Proverbs 28, 20 says, right? Whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. But God is faithful, and God does not give up on Abraham. And in fact, in Genesis chapter 13 and 15, he gives him the promise again in a different way. He says, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. In Genesis 13, 16, and in 15, 5, look towards heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he, being God, said to him, so shall your offspring be. 
But then things get hard again, as they often do. You see, Sarah, Abraham's wife, is unable to conceive. At about this time of life, Abraham is 85, Sarah is 75. Not exactly childbearing years. But you can just imagine every day, Abraham is walking around looking at all the dust, kind of kicking it up and being, well, here's all this dust. I don't see any kids. God, something's not adding up. Every night, looking up at the sky, God, I see a lot of stars, but no children that... Am I missing something? And just that pressure, building, building, building. Day after day, just being reminded of what he didn't have. Day after day of doubt doubt building up, pressure, feeling like he was behind. And so in chapter 16, Abraham messes up again. Just like in Egypt, he doubts that God is going to provide, and he takes matters into his own hands. He takes the shortcut. And he impregnates his wife's servant named Hagar. And as a result of this, uh, a son named Ishmael is born. And again, if we look at this from the product-minded standpoint, we got the kid. That's the goal. That's what we wanted. But this creates a lot of family strife. Sarah is very jealous, as to be expected, of of Hagar and actually kicks her out of the family. There's a lot of tension there. Again, as Proverbs 28.20 says, whoever hastens to get rich will not go unpunished. But God is faithful. In chapter 17, God renews the promise again. And this time, he even makes it more specific. You will have a son born to you named Isaac. And Abraham tries to do some negotiation at this part. He says, well, I have a son right here, Ishmael. Why don't we just use him? I have the son. And God says, no, no. My plan has not changed. This shortcut that you tried was just a dead end. We're going to go at it my way. And so Abraham continues on. In chapter 20, he gets another chance to to do the right thing. Once again, he's entering a new land, and he gets the opportunity to tell the truth, but he lies. He once again does the same exact thing. He says, Sarah is my sister. They take her as the wife. A bunch of bad stuff happens. They say, why did you do this? Again, rather than learn his lesson the first time, he has to learn it again. Have you ever done that? It's very frustrating. But as Proverbs 28.20 says, whoever hastens to get rich will not go unpunished. But God is faithful. And in chapter 21, Isaac is born, finally. It's actually a miracle, because Sarah at this time is 90 years old, and Abraham's 100. The only possible way this could have happened is if God provided, and he does exactly as he says. And you're probably thinking at this point in the story, thank goodness, we made it. It's done, we can move on. Um, But God is not finished with Abraham yet. And look what happens in Genesis chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. What? (laughs) Isn't this weird? Like, does this make sense? It almost seems cruel. Think about it. Abraham first gets this promise when he's 75 years old. Then 25 years have gone by. No kid. Finally, we get Isaac. Finally, we get the son. Finally, we can start building up this great nation. And most commentators believe that Isaac isn't just a little kid when God tells Abraham this. He's about 10 to 15 years old. So another 15 years have gone by, 40 years, only for God at the end to say, kill him? It just doesn't make sense. Was God going to rip him off the whole time? But God is faithful. God has not changed. He knows exactly what he's doing. And this story, I think, seems so odd to us because we are really removed from Abraham's life. 
You know, we just see the little snippets here and there. But Abraham had day after day after day that we don't see in the Bible. Day after day after day where God proved himself faithful. Day after day after day where God provided for him. And in fact, if you read the Bible, this isn't even the first time that Abraham is asked to give up one of his sons. He's been here before. If we go back to Genesis chapter 21, uh, Isaac is born and Sarah has enough at this point of Ishmael. She's worried that Ishmael is going to take what is right, rightfully belongs to Isaac, so she demands that Ishmael get kicked out of the family. But Abraham loves Ishmael. He doesn't want to lose a son. And God tells Abraham, don't worry, I will provide. I'm going to take care of Ishmael. And that's exactly what God does. So Abraham has seen God come through in a situation just like this before. And so this time, rather than choose to take a shortcut, rather than choose to take things into his own hands, Abraham finally Finally, in response to God's faithfulness, Abraham decides to be faithful back. Look what he says to his men in verse 5. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Worship is a powerful word in the Bible. If you look at Romans 12, uh, verse 2, it talks about worship is offering yourself as a sacrifice. It's what we talked about last week. It's really yielding your life to God fully and completely. And that's exactly what Abraham does. He starts going up that mountain. Now, you got to feel for Isaac a little bit in this situation. Again, he's old enough to know what's going on. He sees some wood, some things to make a fire, a knife, and nothing else. (laughs) And sure enough, in verses 7, Isaac says, so what's going on? He says, Isaac said to his father, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, (laughs) what's up? He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt, sac- for a burnt offering? <laughs> I don't know if he said it like that, but that's how I imagine it. And look what Abraham says. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went on both of them together. See, every other time in Abraham's life, it is Abraham will provide. Abraham will provide. I will figure it out. I will get there. I'll take the easiest way. I'll get to where I need to go. And finally, Abraham realizes there is no shortcut. There is no easier way. There is no corner he can cut. The only way to get the life that God has promised him is to faithfully follow God day in, day out. Even when it's difficult, even when it doesn't make sense, God is faithful. So Abraham can trust him. And in fact, if you actually look at Hebrews 11, verse 19, it gives us a little more insight into what Abraham was thinking at this time. And it says that Abraham believed that if he had to kill Isaac, God was going to raise him from the dead. That's how much he trusted God at this point in his life. And some of you probably know the rest of the story. They get to the top of the mountain. He lays down Isaac. Isaac takes the knife to kill his son whom he loves, and God stops it. He sends an angel, reaches out, says, No, now I know that you fear God. And Abraham names the place the Lord will provide. He doesn't even have to kill his son. God provides, and there's a lamb right there in the bushes for Abraham to sacrifice. And look what God tells Abraham in verses 16 through 18. By myself, or 16 through 17, excuse me. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. As Proverbs 28:20 20 says, a faithful man will abound in blessing. Now in the beginning of this story, When God first promises to make Abraham a great nation, Abraham was not ready. 
When things got tough, he tried to do things his own way. When it seemed like God was taking too long, he took shortcuts. He just really didn't trust God at all. But God knew that. And God never gave up on Abraham. Even when Abraham was unfaithful, God was not. And God worked with Abraham right where he was at, day in, day out. You see, God is not a product thinker. God is a process thinker. God could have given Abraham a child right away, but he didn't. Instead, God wanted to build a relationship with Abraham day in and day out. So that day in and day out, Abraham could see that God was faithful. It's a process. And eventually, in God's timing and by God's grace, he transformed Abraham's life completely. And now Abraham is the type of man who can be a great nation. That took a little bit of time. And you know what? I'm confident tonight that God is wanting to do the same kind of thing in your life. God is wanting a relationship with you, and God is wanting to, day after day, start transforming you into the man or woman that he has always wanted you to be. And if you could just stop trying to rush on through, if you can stop cutting corners, stop caving to the pressure, stop trying to provide for yourself, thinking you can get there by yourself, which you can't, there's no shortcuts. And if you can just start learning to faithfully walk with God each and every day, God is going to get you right where you need to go in his timing and by his grace, and that is going to be the best life possible for each and every one of us. That's exactly what's been happening to me. Like I said, these nine years have gone by quick, but as I look back, God has totally changed my life, and I didn't realize it immediately, but over the days, as I continued to trust him and and look to him, um, (laughs) I've totally changed. I mean, the staff who was here when I started know just that. Um, Now, I'm still imperfect. The staff who are here know just that, but You know, God is faithful, and he has worked with me right where I'm at, and as I've responded to God, he really has transformed me, and I'm starting to see how how great this life is when we really have a relationship with God and and live that out. So tonight, I want to share with you two things, two things that you can do that will really help you along in this process. The first thing is take time to invest in your relationship with God. God wants a relationship with you, but like any great relationship, you need to spend time building it. And so tonight, this is a great start, you know, coming here to challenge, hearing the word of God taught, um, being with other believers, singing to God. Um, that's a great start to, to building your relationship with God. Another thing you can do is you can join one of our small groups. We have Freshman Connection for freshmen and, and life groups for everyone else. And these are great ways that you can continue learning God's truth, but just in a smaller group where you can really get to know people, learn it together, walk through life together, share God together. Another really helpful thing is just developing a habit of gain personal time with God each and every day. That's exactly what Abraham did. The scripture is full of Abraham just talking to God, talking to God. So develop that in your own life. I do it in the mornings. You can do it whenever you want. When I was a student, I did it in between classes, but I just read the Bible, prayed a little bit. Next week, come back. We're going to talk all about prayer, so you'll learn more about all that. But take the time to invest in your relationship with God each and every day, and that builds up over time. Proverbs 19.27 says this, Cease to hear instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. You see, if you stop investing in your relationship with God, you're going to stray, and you're going to start falling into those product-minded patterns of, I can do this on my own. I can find a quicker way to get where God wants me to go. Um, So don't, don't do that. Instead, take the time to invest in your relationship with God. And the second thing I would say is, focus on where you're at and be faithful there. You know, we all have dreams, we all have goals, and those are, those are good things to have. You ought to have dreams and goals, but the temptation is to take shortcuts. 
when you feel like your goals are too far away when you're not getting there fast enough, when we're looking too much at the product, the end goal, instead of the process that's going on. So instead, focus on what you need to do right now today to be faithful to God. And that's going to look different for each and every one of you. You're going to have to listen to God's spirit and, and figure out what that looks like. But focus on being faithful today and leave it to God to get you where you need to go. If you focus on the process, you'll eventually get to the goal. Matthew 6.33 says this. Jesus, Jesus is talking here, and he's talking about how people just chase after things in their life. And this is what he says. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, all these things that we need in life, will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You see, if you focus on today, seeking God, being faithful to him, the rest will come. God's going to take care of that. So instead of taking those shortcuts, learn how to be faithful right now where God has you. Now, I want to close tonight with some perspective on this whole thing. Um, most of us in this room are pretty young. Uh, I think if, you know, some are a little younger than others. We have freshmen, we have grad students. Uh, but if we were to categorize it, I think we would all say you are freshmen in life. Let's just say that. Take it from me, older, wiser, a second semester freshman in life, that we, God willing, <laughs> have a lot of days before us. You know, and as product-oriented thinkers, when we think about that, we love to focus on the big days in life. Now, what do I mean by big days? Your college graduation, that is going to be a big day. It's coming eventually, hopefully. That's going to be a big day in your life. Your wedding, that's going to be a big day. A promotion maybe at work, that's going to be a big day. Maybe a challenge of your faith, that's going to be a really big day in your life. But if you wait until that big day comes to start preparing, you're just going to blow it. You're not going to have the character, the vision, the skills, the trust in God to do well. You know, there's no shortcut to being prepared. There's no such thing as an all-nighter in life. Sorry. Um, as much as we like to believe that, there's no such thing. The good news, though, is that in between these big days in our life, there are a lot of small days. And what I mean by small days are small, ordinary days just like today. This is an ordinary Thursday. I don't know what you did, but I woke up, spent some time with God, went to work, stayed at work for a long, long time, because that's how adult life is, came here, and after this, I'm going to go to bed. Nothing really of note has happened to me today. It was just a small, ordinary day when I look back on my life, I probably won't even remember this. But you know what? Today, I was putting into practice those two things I talked about earlier. I invested in my relationship with God. I spent some time reading my Bible. I've been praying throughout this whole day for tonight and, and for other things. Um, I'm doing this right now. This is investing in my relationship with God. And not only that, I've been trying my best today to be faithful. I don't think I've done that perfectly. Um, but I'm trying. I'm trying to figure out what God wants me to do right now today. And again, if you look back nine years, as I've continued to do that, those days have added up to where I am right now. See, Luke 16.10 tells us this. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If you then have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? You see, how you use your small days will determine the outcome of your big days. How you use the small days will determine the outcome of your big days. These small days are vital. It's part of the process. But if you focus on the process, by God's grace, you will get to the goal. You will become the man or woman that God wants you to be. It's just as Proverbs 28.20 says. Whoever hastens to be rich, 
Whoever tries to skip ahead to the big days and neglects the small days in life, whoever looks for shortcuts to get where they need to go faster, whoever tries to cut these corners will not go unpunished. That is a truth from the Bible. But the faithful person, the person who focuses on walking with God each and every day, even when they seem insignificant, the person who takes the time to invest daily in their life with God, the person who trusts God to provide for them in every circumstance, even if it doesn't make sense, that person will be the person who abounds in blessing. So take these days seriously. Cherish them, because they are going to set the tone for the rest of your life. You know, I don't, I don't know if God's going to make you into a great nation, but God has great plans for each and every one of us in this room, plans to make us into the man or woman that God has always designed us to be. And if you yield to him and faithfully go along with the process, you can experience life right here at USC as it is in heaven, as God has always meant for us. It's a life spent in a loving relationship with God, knowing the creator of the universe, and it is the best life possible. Just take it from me. So let me pray for us, and uh, we can welcome the band back up. God, thank you uh, that you have given us this opportunity at all, that you have chosen to make yourself known, and that you have chosen to be in a relationship with us. God, we are very thankful. And God, I pray that you would help us. We feel that pressure. We, we really do want things in life. We want to be where you have us. But God, it's hard to go through the process sometimes. I pray that you would strengthen us. I pray that you would give us the faith to do that, God. I pray that we, like Abraham, would learn just how faithful you are and just how you provide. Thank you that you do that. Thank you that you love us so much, God. And I pray that today we would be faithful, tomorrow we'd be faithful, and you would help us more and more to see what that looks like in our lives. So thank you so much for all you're doing. Amen.